0: Right, let's rock and roll. So hey everybody, this is Daniel Abrahams and today on Mini Multinational, we'll talk to my guest about hiring freelancers, scaling your business efficiently, and the pitfalls to avoid when taking your company global. And today we have a very special guest. Nathan has sold over $30 million online and he has now founded a startup called FreeUp to help scaling companies find vetted and quality freelancers and a better platform for communicating with them. Oh, and he's also been on over 100 podcasts. So without further ado, and it's quite a bio, please welcome um, Nathan Hirsch. So first off, Nathan, how are you doing and where are you joining us from?
1: Dan, I'm great and hope you're doing well too. I am in Orlando, Florida, although I just got back from the Philippines 12 hours or 24 hours ago.
0: Yeah, I understood that. So uh, you must be feeling pretty, pretty darn jet lagged.
1: Yeah, it's funny, their schedule is the exact opposite of ours, so 12 a.m. is 12 p.m., so it takes a little bit of getting used to.
0: <laughs> and the listeners won't know this, but we, we did quite ambitiously try to uh, record this uh, when you were over there in the Philippines, and it was just a bit of a nightmare. So this is, uh, this is the second attempt at hopefully what, we'll, uh, what will be a smooth and seamless uh, recording. Try number two, we got the practice out of the way. Awesome. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Um, What is your personal elevator pitch?
1: Sure. So I've been selling online for over eight years. I've sold over $30 million online. I actually started my first business out of my college dorm room. And as I was growing this business, like most business owners, you had to hire. You had to find a way to get access to talent to get projects done um, and move your business forward. And I started using all these other marketplaces, the Upworks, the Fivers, and it just took forever. You'd go through hundreds of applicants, lots of interviews, and it took way too long to get the talent that you wanted. So I had the idea to create my own marketplace where we get hundreds of applicants every week. We vet them for skill, attitude, communication, take the top 1% and add them to the marketplace and make them available to clients around the world. And so two years ago, I created that And it's quickly grown to the point where we did $5 million last year. And we've also added a lot of things to protect clients. So um, things like a no turnover guarantee. If the workers quit, we cover all replacement costs. We have 24 seven customer service in case there's any issues. So we like to say that we save people time on the front end and we protect them on the back end. So I went from a broke college student starting my own Amazon business to now running a marketplace of freelancers. And it's been a really exciting ride.
0: And just for the listeners out there, the domain is uh, freeup.com with three E's. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect. And I speak as a uh, hopefully soon to be client of the platform. And I think there's a lot of good stuff we can do at, at currencytransfer.com. And I think we'll come on to uh, the business a little bit later in the show. But I was blown away by the uh, quote unquote hospitality side of of the marketplace. I think when you use some of the more mass market platforms, um, you know, freelancer style uh, websites out there, it can be very sort of depersonal, whereas I think um, my personal experience at least was uh, the sort of concierge element of of how you're trying to, you know, curate both sides of your marketplace is, is really interesting indeed.
1: Yeah, we always felt like the other marketplaces were one sided, either two pro client or two pro freelancers. So from my side, we're trying to do everything possible to make it a good experience all around. And we love feedback. We love hearing from clients what they like, what they don't like. Same thing on the freelancer side. We know that if we don't make the freelancers happy, if we don't focus on the freelancer community, um, that we're not going to go very far. So we like to take that feedback and continue to improve on both sides.
0: And my personal experience on that was, uh, you know, I've tried out some of the more mass market sort of upwork, people per hour, and sometimes there are too many decisions to make as a client. You know, there are too many applicants and you're bombarded with so many different, you know, potential VAs or content writers or whatever it may be that you're looking for. And I think what was great about my um, initial interaction, just putting it out there, I haven't started work with any of your uh, Freelancers or, or neither as my team, but I think what what was for me the real aha experience of using your um, product, at an onboarding stage, was you take a lot of that friction out. Um, you almost take away a lot of choice in terms of here are a hundred applicants, and you know you you crawl through the best, and and effectively I put trust in your hands in terms of of helping me find um, what I'm you know what I'm looking for. But we'll come on to that a little bit a little bit later because I'm particularly keen to sort of, um, you know, signpost this. Let's start off with uh, with your first venture, which I believe was called Portlight, whereby as a um, you know as a student cause that started, if I'm right in saying, as a student cause initiative, and scaled into a multi million dollar e e-tailor with pretty much little to no outside investment. So how, how did you organically grow that? Um, that business, um, two thirty million million in sales, what was the secret to success that meant you didn't require any outside investment? Uh, if you could take us back to the beginning, I think we'd all be very, very interested to hear the story.
1: Yeah, so my parents were both teachers, so growing up, I always thought I was going to go through the normal career path. You go to high school, you get into a good college. you get good grades in college that leads to an internship and a job and you work for 30 years you retire and and that's Become your life a lawyer. and yeah exactly <laughs> so uh, that was always my mentality that was always my parents mentality and as I was growing up I always had full-time summer jobs I, I would ha- have internships or or working at different retailers And I hated it. I was always watching the clock. I wasn't motivated working for other people. And it was kind of this wake up call that, hey, if you just go through the motions and go through college and get a job, this is what your life is going to be like. It's like that full time summer job, except for it just doesn't stop at the end of the summer. So I always wanted to get out of that. And as I was doing these internships, and I was very fortunate to work at the Aarons Corporation and also Firestone. I got to see how the CEOs went about their days. They could be on the golf course working from their phone. They could be in and out of the office. They could work from home. And and I always felt like I wanted that. I wanted to be in that position where I was in charge instead of working for other people. So when I got to college, I remember on the first day, we we had to decide our major, um, what business that we wanted to focus on. I knew I wanted to get into business. And the professor got up there with this new entrepreneur program and she said if you want financial freedom if you want life freedom the only way to do it is by being an entrepreneur and that really stuck with me and it was kind of that thing I needed to get over the edge like hey this is this is what I'm going to pursue so I joined the entrepreneurial program in college and as I was getting classes or taking classes and learning about business and all the things that go into it from the management to the accounting um, to the planning. I also was a broke college kid and, and I needed extra money on the side. And I noticed that the school bookstore was ripping me off. I was paying hundreds of dollars at the beginning of the semester. I was selling them back for pennies on the dollar at the end of the semester. And I wanted a better way to do that. So. I started my own book selling business and before I knew it, there were lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books over the bookstore uh, to the point where I actually got a cease and desist letter from the bookstore because I was taking up so much of their business. (laughs) So I was selling these books to different platforms, different vendors online. And one day I came across Amazon and this was way back in the day where Amazon was mostly a bookstore. Um, They were just getting off of that and starting to sell other products and I became addicted to it. I thought it was just so cool. I was gonna start my own Amazon store. I could sell different products and I started experimenting with products that I, I knew a lot about. Computers, video games, sporting equipment. And I failed over and over and over. I couldn't get anything what to sell. What year was this? This was 2009. Okay. And I couldn't get anything to sell. So <laughs> after getting pretty frustrated and, and knowing that I wasn't gonna be able to sell books forever, I started. And did getting, you get
0: burnt? If I just may interrupt, did you yeah. burn through cash in terms of buying inventory that you couldn't sell? What was the business
1: model? No. So I always try. I always tried to make it a cash-positive business. I, I. It's called drop shipping. But this was years before I even knew it was called drop shipping. I was trying to sell products that other people had for them, and then once I got the sale, they would ship it from one place to the other.
0: So no stock, no inventory purely sort of arbitrage, brokerage, whatever you want to call it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was a college kid living in my dorm. There was no warehouse. I had no place to, to store inventory. Amazon FBA was, was very new. Um, I, I, I didn't really experiment that much with it. It was all trying to sell other people's products um, besides the books that I could keep in my dorm room.
0: And who were these characters? Who were the people that just had a spare computer or whatever to sell? Um, and you presumably went to those folks and say, sure. You know, I know how to to hack this together online um, again for anyone out there that's thinking about, you know, a drop shipping business model going forward. What what were the mechanics behind sort of you sourcing the products that effectively, you know, you didn't take the risk with in terms of buying them yourself. But how did you source that inventory? Who, who were the types of characters that you were taking the stock from?
1: Sure, so as a 20-year-old, not many manufacturers, not many suppliers wanted to work with me right away. So I was finding these products on different deal sites, different online retailers, different online distributors that you could create a a free account. Um, And like I was saying, I I tried this stuff over and over and over and and it wasn't going anywhere. And I was about ready to give up until one day I came across this this website slickdeals.com and they were selling this baby product and i started drop shipping this one baby product and it went it started selling over and over and over and i realized the market for baby products was booming every parent every person that is that wants to have a kid is going to buy these baby products so that's when i really started to focus more on the baby industry and get rid of get out of my comfort zone away from the sporting equipment and the computers and the video games and from there after i had started to make these sales from the deal site from these different online retailers and started to gain traction with my Amazon business, then I was able to do research on different suppliers, different vendors, different manufacturers, and reach out to them with more of a, a backstory about growing this business, and I was able to form these deals that would help me take the business even further.
0: And what was the infrastructure that helped you scale from effectively zero and, and many, many mistakes into a... Effectively, a multi-million-dollar online empire with zero stock, zero inventory. Was it? Was it you as an owner-managed business hustler? Did you have um, a bunch of employees? Did you? Was that the beginnings of you working with freelancers around the world rather than having a, a you know a payroll, you know, traditional bricks-and-mortar office? What What was the infrastructure?
1: Yeah. So it started off with just me, and I remember going to my accountant. And he said, hey, when are you gonna start hiring people? Your business is doing really well. And I kind, I kind of shrugged him off. I was like, why would I hire anyone? The money's going into my pocket. I don't wanna give it to someone else. I love what I'm doing. I can do this seven days a week for the next 20 years. And he just laughed at me and he said, good luck, you'll figure this out yourself. (laughs) And so I got through my first busy season, the first end of the year where people were buying tons of products. I was getting angry emails from parents when their toy was a day late for Christmas. And I, I almost went crazy. I was working 20 hours a day. I was balancing college and a girlfriend and everything that goes with that. And when I got to January, I was like, that was kind of the wake up call. I was like, okay, I can never go through that again. I need help. And so I started hiring people, and one of my first hires by luck was my business partner, Connor, who's been working with me for over eight years. So I made a really good hire right from the beginning, and I also made a lot of bad hires along the way as well, Um, people that cost me time, cost me money, and that's when I really got thrown into the whole hiring experience and, and learned a lot from it. And it wasn't until years later when I discovered the remote hiring world. And and all the 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 power you get from hiring talent that isn't just around you. So I kind of went from just hiring the people around me in college to um, graduating and opening up an office to learning about the remote hiring world and really free up is based on my eight plus years of hiring.
0: So they say hire fast and and unfortunately when needed you know fire fast. What was your uh, sort of patience that you deployed back in that sort of? you know, successful run you had with the baby products around the the, the people you brought in. Was it a a revolving door? What did you do when, you know, someone you brought in didn't meet expectations? And, um, you know, if you could start it over again without the baggage, you know, what would you have done differently now with, you know, a fair few years more experience with respect to some of the recruitment and hiring um, episodes that you went through?
1: Yeah, so I mentioned one of my first hires was a great one. It was someone that was passionate, someone I I worked with long-term. But So I thought it was easy. I thought hiring was just, okay, put a job out. First person that wants it, that shows some desire, it's going to work out. And you quickly realize that's not how it works. Um, And you start developing your interview process from the questions to the expectations and the onboarding. And as I started hiring more people and having that revolving door of people quitting or or me firing people that I didn't like, I I, I got pretty frustrated with it. I was realizing that I was wasting so much of my time on this actual process. So what I did was I sat down with the people that I was even firing. I would do what I called an exit interview. And I would meet with them and get their feedback. Hey, what could I do better? Hey, why did you take this job if you weren't a good fit, if you weren't committed? Hey, how come the, the culture in our company is is pretty low that there's just a cancer spreading throughout where people aren't motivated and that was a real turning point for me because getting that brutal inside feedback from people that that might not like me people that I'm not going to see again was really helpful they knew the inside of the business they they would tell me hey Nate you're not treating people well or hey Nate um, the, the questions you're asking for the interview are, are very easy to manipulate people are just giving standard in- interview answers you need to adjust that to figure out what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to get out of these questions? So I got a lot of feedback and, and I continue to get feedback to this day, focusing on improving the process, improving the system, improving the onboarding after we hire someone. Um, and that was really that's really what I tell other people is, hey, when you have a bad hiring experience, Focus on the process more than the result. Don't focus on the end game that you might not even be able to control. Focus on what you can change, what you can tweak to improve it going forward.
0: I think you're entirely right. I mean, just from my experience as an employer, and and particularly in the in the early days, um, if you don't deploy that self awareness that at the end of the day it was your decision why you hired that person, and um, you know you can tell yourself to make yourself feel good that there were a million and one reasons why. It didn't work out and it wasn't your fault and you know the person can you know point to a million reasons why it also didn't work out but at the end of the day you know the buck stops with you as the ceo me as the ceo your your department heads that ended up hiring those people and at, at the end of the day you know you got to park the bus you know <laughs> in the perspective of you you made that call and there are probably if you reverse engineer why it didn't work out there are so many things that, that, that you could have done differently rather than not deploying that level of self-awareness where you'll end up just hiring bad people after bad people because, you know, you, you kind of deploy that mentality of it wasn't my fault, which I think is, is quite dangerous and, and quite commonplace um, in amongst lots of companies.
1: Yeah, feedback is incredibly powerful. A lot of entrepreneurs (coughs) that struggle, they think they know everything, they think they can figure everything out by themselves, but they don't actually listen to the people around them, whether it's their mentor, their friends, other entrepreneurs, um, people within the company, the freelancers, the employees, um, just really figuring out what's going well, what's going poor, what people like, what you don't like, And, and it really leads to a lot of ideas. I mean, the ideas that have made me the most money or have saved me the most money, a lot of times they've come from other people they haven't come from me and because I've created a culture where people can share their ideas we've it's led to a lot of success
0: absolutely and in terms of um, the business uh, the Amazon business or the online business um, for anyone listening that wants to look at starting a drop shipping business or a more you know let's say traditional if you'd like to call it I'm gonna buy my <coughs> products on you know, alibaba or whatever from china i'm going to send it to uh ebay and amazon's warehouse and then they'll do the fulfillment i think there are a lot of different models out there in in terms of building a successful as i would like to call it mini multinational um have the dynamics or the rules of the game changed now looking at it in 2018 versus back in 2009 um can someone tomorrow morning you know build a successful business drop shipping books or or baby products um, what's the, on a macro level you know what is the uh, what is the landscape like today
1: yes you definitely can the landscape's completely different back when i got into it it was me and just a few other people doing it now there who knows how many sellers there are the key is to not copy other people the key is to come up with your own business model use trial and error really focus on quality and um, quality assurance and your systems and your processes. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that claim to be gurus, that teach you how to run e-commerce businesses, and that's great if you don't know what you're doing and you need to start and to get the background, but if you just try to copy other people, you kind of fall into that point where everyone's competing against each other doing the exact same thing. So I encourage you to try to be different, to try to experiment on your own, and try to find a business model that works for you and a lot of time, when a lot of times when you start selling online, when you start an e-commerce business, the end result is way different than you thought it was going to be when you start. So you have to be open to adjusting and reading the market and trying different things out.
0: And with my limited knowledge of the uh, of again the nuances of being a drop shipper or an eBay Amazon seller, is it like don't eBay and Amazon have a problem of let's say um, you know your <laughs> You know, you're buying from one platform, um, selling on another platform, and they can't almost guarantee that level of quality control if you kind of get where I'm coming from.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on the products and, and the business model. I work with a lot of drop shippers who have excellent quality control. Um, nothing leaves their manufacturer's warehouse, nothing gets shipped to their customer unless they know exactly what it is, they know it's going to be high quality, they know it's going to ship and arrive on time. And I work with some other clients that are a little less organized. They're almost crossing their fingers hoping that every package arrives where it should be at the right place. So the ones that I've seen the most success, the ones that are growing, the ones that are not constantly going backwards and and fixing things are the people that have set quality control as a high priority right from the beginning.
0: And what was the end of the story of Portlight and your your Amazon, um, or sorry, I should say, online enterprise? Is it still running behind the scenes with uh, with someone else taking over, so that you can free up time to work on free up. Um, no pun intended. What, what's the uh, what was the end of the story? If there if there is an end.
1: Yeah. So we continued to to grow the business. I ended up um, closing down the office and moving it back to entirely remote because I realized that that's a kind of that's a kind of lifestyle I want to live. Um, So, the business has run remote for years. We ran it through the end of last year. Um, At the beginning of this year, we're actually in the process of transferring ownership to um, a partner that's not involved in FreeUp so that Connor, my business partner, and I can focus more on FreeUp. We enjoy it more. It's much more rewarding. We get to help freelancers from around the world, help business owners grow around the world. Um, To us, we like that more. So we've Connor and I have been transitioning out of Port Light slowly, and uh, by the end of this year, we should be fully out of it. Um, the business continues to run, and yeah, our focus is really on Free Up going forward. So by out of it, you mean your business is
0: being acquired?
1: Um, but well, not necessarily. We're transferring ownership from. So there's three business partners with Port Light and two with Free Up. So we're going to transfer ownership to one of the business partners in Port Light. Is it going to be tough giving away your baby? I thought so. I mean, if you had asked me six years ago, I, I would have told you I'd be selling on Amazon forever. But with FreeUp, it, it's really just opened up this whole new way of thinking about business where you're, you're really in it for helping other people rather than just pushing product and, and helping yourself. And I mean, Amazon was thrilling for years. And, and I think after doing it for so long, I kind of got a little numb to it and, and I just wanted a new challenge. And just out of curiosity,
0: before we get in um under the bonnet to free up. Uh, so at CurrencyTransfer.com, we help. Um, I would say probably less drop shippers, more the folks that are you know using our conversion fintech platform to buy their products from let's say China or Europe to then um, you know sell online. And very soon we we're, we're building solutions so that they can collect foreign revenues on foreign marketplaces and then bring them back home. Um, was currency ever an issue as
1: you built your business? Were you not selling? Okay. Not on my Amazon business. We kept it entirely U.S. because we were drop shipping from a lot of manufacturers and built really good relationships from manufacturers that only shipped um, domestically. But with FreeUp, I mean, we have clients from all over the world. Uh, we have freelancers from all over the world. So yeah, I mean, figuring out the the best way to transfer and move money and get payments and save money on fees it was it was a big deal in the first year of FreeUp figuring out the best way to do it. For sure, and um, and so following the
0: success of Portlight, um, you founded FreeUp. Uh, we've we understand why, what caused you to doing so. Um, clearly, the pain points you felt building, you know, Portlight along the way, and, and the uh, the the limitations of some of the other platforms of finding freelancers. Um, it's smart, you know. You you started a business out of uh, effectively a personal problem. How do you manage the quality with, let's say, so many freelancers vying to be on your network?
1: I mean, we reject 99 out of 100 people that apply. We're getting hundreds of applicants every week. We spend a lot of time vetting these people, whether it's the application process, the one on one interviews, the, um, the tests that we have. I mean, we have communication best practices that freelancers have to memorize and get tested on because we know how important communication is on the marketplace so we spend a lot of time making sure only the best of the best get into the network but then it doesn't stop there I mean once they're in we have very high expectations if people get complaints if people don't communicate we're very fast to remove them so um, it, it almost is like the quality assurance on the drop shipping I had how, a lot of exp- but but how do you
0: guarantee that quality of work is there like a rating system for clients like me after you know, Rachel or Frank has done a job for me and and, and is there room on the platform to to score that freelancer? Um, I know you have a sort of, let's say, more boutique offering where you really do get to know each and every one of your clients in a more sort of hospitality um, type of environment than, than some of the more mass market where pretty much any freelancer, whether you're good, bad or ugly, can join. Um, so A, how do you guarantee that quality of work and how can other clients see, you know, how um, or how can clients like me see how other clients have scored that freelancer?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. To be honest, I don't love the scoring system. I think if you go on some of the other marketplaces, you'll get, you'll hire someone who has five star reviews and leave with a bad experience. And you might get someone that doesn't have a five star review and they had one client that might've been unreasonable, might've been not fair to them and that really hurt them going forward. So for us, We handle each situation individually. We're constantly asking feedback from clients and from freelancers and keeping our own records. Um, So with us, I mean, we're putting our name behind these freelancers. If something goes wrong, we take responsibility and we make it right really quick. Um, Whether it's free credit or getting someone another option or or paying for a project to get done ourselves So for us, we're not doing it based on a five-star review rating system Um, We're doing it based on client feedback and we take that stuff very seriously quickly removing people from the network um, That are not treating the clients the way that we feel like they should be treated
0: And what was the hack to build that really great? Network on the ground did you have almost like you had at Portlight, where your first key hire was um was crucial and it sort of relieved a lot of the pressure to to, to build momentum. Um, I know you've just come from the Philippines. Presumably, you've got a big network of of you know the top one percent of freelancers over there. But in terms of of that sort of recruitment process and and building the infrastructure, whether it's in the Philippines or India or or even uh, in the U.S. Or, or freelancers you might have on your network in the U.K., um, what was that sort of real hack that that ensures effectively that quality or those first steps those first sort of moves in the in the in the chess game that that made um the made the whole thing come together in a in a way that you envisaged it should
1: yeah i mean it it all comes down to great hires on our internal team from the recruitment to the billing to my assistants that interact with the clients and help to fill all the ticket requests that we get (laughs) we i mean we have one percent that gets into the free up marketplace And then we take the 1% of that 1% and add them to our internal team. So we practice what we preach. We only hire people that are already in the freelance marketplace, in the free up marketplace. And I actually went and visited my internal team in the Philippines and we took them out to a resort day. We got them all massages, um, took them out to dinner a lot and just treated them well because they have done such an incredible job we couldn't do it without them. It, by putting great people in place right from the beginning, it's really led to our overall success. And I mean, it, it's no different if someone else is starting their own business today. The quickest way to fail as a business owner is to hire bad people, and the quickest way to succeed is by surrounding yourself with people that are talented, that are good at things that you're not good at, that are motivated, and that care about your business. So um, I mean, that I contribute almost all of our success to our internal team that does a great job day in and day out
0: and who was that who was that first key hire i mean who is that chief of staff over there in the philippines do you have sort of one strong general manager that then went out and hired some more internal staff um for those looking to let's say um you know build a team in an emerging market let's say which let's be honest about it comes at at probably a lower cost than doing so in in a in a western country or whatever how um You know, how did you build that at the very beginning? Was it that one key hire that knew the local landscape and then, um, you know, hired others without you having to micromanage every single hire?
1: Yeah, so the girl's name is Cheeks, and she actually worked with our Amazon business for years, and we transitioned her over um, to be our, head. we call it the freelance success team. It's basically the recruitment team, the person who does all the interviews, the the gatekeeper, so to speak, who decides who gets into the network and who doesn't. And she helped us with the hiring on the Amazon business, she helps us with the hiring on FreeUp, um, and she was the key to starting the whole thing, because if we don't get good freelancers from the beginning, No one's going to like the service no one's going to come back no one's going to tell their friends and the community community doesn't even get off the ground so she was definitely the key hire we don't have a general manager so to speak connor my business partner and i um, we run the entire business and we split it up so that he handles more of the behind the scenes the website the marketing the content and i'm more of the systems and processes um, going on podcasts, talking to clients um, figuring out the, the best ways to continue to make it a flawless system from requesting workers to filling the request so we divide it up so we have Cheeks who runs our freelance success team we have Marius who runs our billing we have someone who runs the blog um, so really dividing it up by team um, but that but hiring Cheeks and putting her in that position and, and giving her the resources she needed to succeed was the key to getting the business off the ground
0: and how often do you guys go over there
1: that was my first time going over there <laughs> I've worked wow. with Cheeks for over six years now, and that was my first time meeting her in person. That was your sorry. You started Free Up in what year? So uh, Cheeks worked on my Amazon business too. So Free Up is a little over two years old. Uh, but Cheek, I've been working with Cheeks for over six years now.
0: But this is—are you saying since you started Free Up a couple of years ago, this is you, this is the first time that you've been over there on the ground?
1: This is the first time in my life that I've ever been to the Philippines.
0: Wow that's a real sort of you know that's inspiring for someone out there that's listening to this that's looking to go global that you know as a as an owner manager or, or a ceo you can get a lot done before you actually have to put your feet on the ground in that country that's that's impressive obviously um you know <laughs> the way of the world we've got skype we've got slack we've got email you know conferencing is super simple but you know the old school mentality is that you know nothing you know replaces face-to-face time or whatever but it's amazing to think that you've built a real infrastructure on the ground in the Philippines um, you are the owner of the business and this was your first trip over there that's awesome
1: yeah it, it was really surreal just meeting all these people that we talked to on Skype every day um, we threw an event where we rented out a venue and we told all the freelancers in the marketplace hey no pressure no obligation if you wanna come meet us, this is where we're gonna be. And we had over 100 freelancers show up and we treated them to good food, we took pictures with them, we, we held a little event where we, or a little talk where we thanked them and, and told them what our plans are for FreeUp. And it was really an awesome experience just seeing people that we've helped over the years. I, I mean, one freelancer, he, he was showing me his car and he was like, hey, like I bought this because of FreeUp. Just stuff like that makes the whole thing worth it. Amazing. And what I mean in that two year period what was
0: <laughs> I'm sure you resonate with this CEO to CEO there are fireworks going on in your business the whole time and and you can feel that you're the type of guy you have to put out sort of flames um, you know week in week out what, what's what been the biggest challenge in that two year period um, whether it be on the client side of the marketplace or the freelancer side of the marketplace what's been the real sort of challenge that you've had to sort of overcome or finesse to um, effectively build the company that it is
1: today. I mean, there's a lot of different freelance marketplaces out there, Um, so just getting off the ground, I mean, people have the mentality, okay, we don't need another Fiverr, we don't need another Upwork, and you really have to get out there in front of people and show how you're different, and as you continue to grow and you prove to people why you're different, then you get to the point where everyone is like, wow, they are different, let's copy them. So then you get the competitors popping up and you really have to step up your game to to show that you really are the best of the best. So it's kind of been funny going from that transition to, uh, okay, no one wants to start another marketplace, no one wants um, to have another marketplace, to wow, everyone loves free up, we're growing, now everyone wants to copy us.
0: Can your freelancers be platform agnostic, i.e. they can do some gigs on Fiverr, do some work with you, do some work on, um, you know, people per hour, or if they, you know, sign up to be a freelancer on FreeUp, that's effectively their their job.
1: No, they can be, they're not exclusive to us, so they're welcome to offer their services anywhere they want. Um, Our only thing is they can't drop our clients for um, clients somewhere else, so as long as they don't drop our clients, we don't care.
0: Yeah, okay, so in terms of just, digging into let's say the client side because you know hopefully there will be a bunch of people out there that will think do you know what i'm gonna and we'll come on to this at the end of the uh do you know what let's do it now what what is the can you just read out to the listeners the domain name um for people that want to uh you know check out your your marketplace um and maybe say some some words around what type of roles um are most suited to, you know, the network of freelancers that you have? Um, what's the real sweet spot that you can solve for entrepreneurs out there listening to this that think, do you know what? I'm probably doing 15 more things that I should be doing. If I only delegated this and this, that would free me up to do um, a lot more productive work or whatever way they look at it. Maybe just give an overview of, uh, of where you can add most value, the domain um, and how people can get started.
1: Sure, so the website is freeup.com with three E's. If you go on the site, you can create a free account. There's no minimum, no sign-up fee, no monthly fee. It's in our best interest to get you freelancers that you actually like, and once you create an account, anytime you need a freelancer, you log in, you click Request a Worker, you tell us what, you look, what you're looking for, and we introduce you within 24 hours. My calendar is right at the top of the site. You can book a meeting with me. I'd love to talk to you about your business and how we can help you. And I mean, where our sweet spot is, it's funny, when, when we started this, we were just Amazon for about the first year because we were Amazon sellers, we knew a lot of Amazon freelancers, it was fairly easy to be like, hey, we've had a lot of success using these people, try using them. And from there, we really spread through the e-commerce community. So people wanted Shopify developers, they wanted people for their eBay store, they um, wanted to sell on Walmart. So we expanded throughout e-commerce. And then from there, we started getting into different business communities and now we work with lots of clients that have nothing to do with e-commerce, whether they need a writer or a social media person or someone to build their website. Um, so it's gotten to the point where there, there really isn't much that we don't offer and, I mean, even if you're a brick and mortar store, there are plenty of jobs that you can get done remotely um, that you shouldn't be hiring internally for, in my opinion. So. It's really open to all different kinds of business I think that e-commerce is is always gonna be our sweet spots just because it's our background but it's really expanded into so much more
0: and is there a minimum level of spend that these um, clients need to deploy against your freelancers because again what super impressed me about your service and I was questioning to myself wow how scalable this is this I'm getting to speak on Skype with the uh, the founder of FreeUp, uh, He's introducing me to the, you know, his chief people within the internal team. I'm having a very, you know, um, you know, very quickly, I'm having a conversation with three of the top candidates that 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 your team have brought to the table. And it really is um, a tremendously boutique service, which gives me, you know, questions around, you know, how scalable is that? But, you know, moving that further down the sort of track. Does that mean that there's a minimum amount some of these clients need to be spending with you to make it worthwhile from your end, the freelancer end, and and almost justify the level of brilliant service that you give?
1: No, there's no minimum. I mean, the the freelancers are first come, first serve. If you're using someone for five hours a week, they're yours for five hours a week. We're not taking them away from you, but they're welcome to get other clients, both inside and outside free up, um, to fill their other hours. So um, in terms of scalability, I have an incredible internal team. I think you mentioned a bunch, uh, you met about three of my assistants. We yeah. just added a fourth one now. So as we continue to grow, we'll continue to add people on. And yes, I, I can't personally fill every request, but my <laughs> team does a, a fantastic job and, and I'm on a lot.
0: Honestly, it was a tremendous, I, I can't vouch for the quality of work because I haven't started yet, but um, please God, I will do. But in terms of the the onboarding, sort of hospitality experience it really was um champagne and, and second to none um i'm glad to hear so in terms of in terms of metrics and how much you can let's say openly share how many clients do you have on the one side of the marketplace and how many freelancers do you have on the other side and is it very philippine centric or do you have um you know freelancers in other countries let's say more native english speakers but again you know the the folks that you introduced me to the English was was absolutely perfect which can sometimes be a a a red flag or a consideration for certain jobs
1: sure so we're about 40 percent Philippines 40 percent US and 20 percent scattered around the world on the freelancer side Um, we have about a thousand freelancers a little less um, and growing and on the client side I mean we have thousands of clients that signed up and that have signed up and use the platform um, we bill about 600 or so a week so you've got like the 400-500 that are consistent every week and then you've got the people that are coming and going for different projects that start and stop um, so that's kinda of where we're at right now awesome
0: so moving on in terms of let's say acquisition strategies of how you've built your business up I know um, you've been on is it over a hundred podcasts
1: yep that's correct
0: great I thought you actually hosted your own podcast but you, you very quickly corrected me when we spoke uh, when we spoke the other day that you've at, you don't run your own podcast but you've been on over a hundred and presumably has that been like have you seen direct correlation between let's say um, client new client activation and the work that you're doing on podcasts? is there rhyme and reason why beyond maybe liking the sound of your own voice? You've been on over, let's say, 100 podcasts.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I handle business in that trial and error mode. So whether it's hiring people, whether it's figuring out um, what the marketing strategy is, I like to try different things and see what works. And once I see something that's working, then you invest more of your own time and your own money into it. So, I mean, we've seen that podcasts have had a a very good result on ROI, just getting in front of different uh, business communities. And we've tried other things like our referral program. Any clients you refer to us, you get 50 cents for every hour that we to them forever. That program has taken off. We paid out over $150,000 in referral money last year. Um, There's other marketing efforts that we've tried that haven't had a good ROI, so we scale back on them and and we continue to pick and choose um, where we're spending our money, where we're spending our time. So, yeah, I mean, podcasts right now are booming. Everyone has three to five podcasts uh, on their iPhone that they're listening to each week, and the more we can get in front of different audiences and help people and share our story, um, I think it'll lead to a lot of success, not only for free up, but for other business owners as well.
0: Yeah I'm tremendously bullish about voice I mean it's the reason we started this podcast and my COO Paul has just started a podcast called Beyond Currency he's, um, he's a real expert on sort of the macro why currencies are moving um, so it's the type of thing that I believe voice really does remove friction it's one of those things where that CEO CFO driving to the factory can just listen to on his commute and feel productive that really he couldn't do in terms of listening to it or watching a YouTube video or or let's say reading a book so I think podcasts you know give you back your time um, they let you feel more productive with your time and you know I've gone from never listening to a podcast pretty much ever three months ago to to being hooked it helps me go to sleep at night sometimes and it's uh, it's just something that just fills those moments where you're not feeling that you know where you you're done with work or whatever and and you wanna be a bit more productive than just watching an episode on Netflix, I think, you know, I think it's smart and I think those that deploy a level of patience when building their business and whether it's as a guest of a podcast or a host of a podcast, you, know, you can never really see, um, my head of growth might say differently, but you know, a Google Analytics chart's never gonna tell you the true 100% ROI impact of your podcast activity but I just have a gut feeling that it's it's um, it's an amazing way for anyone to really look to supercharge their business.
1: Yeah, I agree. If you have a, a brand that you're trying to promote, if you're trying to get your business off the ground, I strongly recommend at least contacting different podcast hosts and seeing what kind of communities are a good fit for you. And how far do you
0: go, let's say, in asking those podcast hosts, what are your listenership numbers, you know, almost to some degree in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how much is this gonna work out for me versus am I wasting my time here? I mean, if you look at the interaction we've had, I was super upfront and honest with you and I was like, Nathan, buddy, this is a new venture for me. Um, This is my background, this is my track record, but just putting it out there, this is my, uh, you will be one of the first three episodes. And so um, if you wanna get a bit of depth, I'm sure my buddies, entrepreneurs within my own ecosystem are going to be listening to this but i'm not tim Ferriss, i'm not gary vaynerchuk i don't have millions of listeners this is the beginning of the journey and so how you know time is precious obviously um so how do you audit that when you know either blindly saying yes to every show um you know that approaches you versus being a slightly more tactical
1: yeah, it's true. So keep in mind, there's Connor and there's me and so Connor has time to go on podcast too. Very rarely do we turn down podcasts, I mean, in, in this stage of our business. Um, I mean, you never really know. I've been on podcasts that have big audiences and, and we thought they were going to be a big hit and the ROI just wasn't there. And then we've been on podcasts that we were like, okay, they're, they're kind of small, They have a, they don't have a big audience and all of a sudden we've gotten some really good clients from it. So, we try not to just I guess look at the look at it and be like yes or no um, as long as we have the time for it and, and continue to have the time for it we try to help get our message out as much as possible um, I'm sure if we get to a certain point we might have to become more picky but I mean part of being a business owner you have to be humble right sometimes when you when you get to the top of the peak and you think that you can't do anything wrong something else comes up and it hits you and brings you down and vice versa so if you get sure. into the mentality that you're you're too good for a podcast or you're too good to talk to someone, to me that's not how you have success in business. I never I never want to get to that point. So as long as my schedule allows it, I, I enjoy doing it. I enjoyed talking to you today. I enjoyed getting in front of um, business communities no matter how big or how small they are.
0: Well, I'm very raw as a podcast host, so hopefully I'm doing a, a half-decent job. <laughs> um, <laughs> and in terms of... Uh, in terms of sort of you know going forward what are you excited about in the next 12 months um, with free up is there any announcements is uh, is there any sort of product iterations or evolutions is it just doubling down what's the uh, what's the game plan
1: yeah so right now i'm most excited we about this software update we have coming out um our developers are actually working on it pretty hard today i'm hoping to launch it this weekend we're definitely about a month behind on it just because we keep adding features to it um, but it's going to make our whole um, UI or whole software from start to finish easier for the client, um, and I'm really excited about that. And Yeah, I mean for the next 12 months, we're, we're looking to continue to grow the marketplace on both the client and the freelancer side. Um, we have a lot of great other podcasts coming up, a lot of great marketing opportunities, conferences that we're speaking at, um, and I'm really excited for the next year of FreeUp. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on a podcast? Has anything badly gone wrong?
0: <laughs> Any awkward um, moments?
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think. So with uh, Entrepreneur on Fire, if you if you ever listened to that episode with me and John, um, he kind of took me off balance with a question about uh, gross revenue. And I always have the mentality that gross revenue is not the best way to define a business. And it can also mean a lot of different things to different business owners. So um, I guess that's the thing that kind of caught me off guard where um, I think we had very different definitions of what gross <laughs> revenue is. So it's kind of a funny back and forth um, between And what that, happened? He was,
0: he was what? Digging and digging and digging.
1: Yeah, digging and digging and digging. And I think by the end of it, we both realized that we were talking about two different things. So it was a little, it was kind of funny, but I mean, I I don't get embarrassed by very much. I, I try to be as honest and truthful as I can on the podcast. If someone asks me a question and, and I, I try to answer it to the best of my ability. So nothing too bad.
0: And do you have like a, how have you, again, for an, for any listeners out there that want to Effectively go down the flight path you've taken of, of effectively zero to a hundred podcasts. Maybe now it's 101 um, What is the growth mechanism there if they don't have time themselves to basically? Um, you know pitch every podcast host is it sign up to free up get a freelancer who will go and do that outreach for you um, What are your sort of inside? Um, secrets around booking yourself onto podcast shows which again I I think I'll learn from this because I, I share your DNA. It's something that I want to do more, more often.
1: Um, yeah, so if you don't have a, a cheap freelance lead generation team, you're really missing out. And that goes for podcasts. It goes for getting new suppliers. It goes for getting new clients. I mean, you have to set up a process of people that are outreaching on your behalf that you can tweak and, and work to improve. And that's really what we do, whether it's reaching out to different business owners, different business communities, different podcasts. We're constantly trying new pitches, new emails, um, working with different lead generation people to to try different methods and that's how I would start out. If you have the budget for it, um, I, I'd love to talk to you about it. Feel free to book a call on my calendar, um, who's ever listening, and I can help you set up that team. It's pretty affordable and you can see a pretty good ROI over time.
0: And to be honest, mate, I'll share a very interesting case study of where your freelancers opened my eyes to that. When I had a call, I was going into the call basically looking to recruit a effectively a VA a virtual assistant for for me my CTO and my COO so almost one shared person that can that can effectively be our assistant and when I dig deeper into actually asking um, the person that you guys put me in touch with you know where where do you think your skills are, are best deployed she basically gave me a, a a real lesson for about 10 minutes around how um, you know we could use her to do lead generation um, to prospects CEOs CFOs of companies looking to go global um, and it's something that almost my starting point of why I wanted to engage with free up almost pivoted a little bit over the course of that 10-minute conversation into shit Lead gen could be very very interesting um, basically to almost fire quite expensive human capital And divert their attention Um, I'm not saying I'm not saying fire you know some of the people we have in our business but almost you know give them additional budget to almost have a a you know one of your freelancers working alongside them so that they don't have to do the whole hey can I speak to your CFO cold calling cold emails um, that probably would be done better by domain experts ie your your panel of freelancers
1: yeah. Outsourcing and free, hiring freelancers is addicting. Once you once you get started with it and you realize that the time that you save and the new opportunities you have, it, it, it can be really rewarding and really addicting and it makes you want to do it more and more and think of other ways to get all these talented people from around the world involved in your business. So I encourage you if you've never done it before to at least give it a shot and you never know um, how your business can take off afterwards.
0: Yeah. And for me, it also becomes, it helps with your CAC, your cost per acquisition. You know, I think there are thousands, millions of businesses out there that are deploying, you know, 40K, 80K, 100K a year sort of human capital doing work that they could outsource. And then just honing in on the stuff that, that really is why you pay them the big bucks, if that makes sense.
1: Exactly. I mean, when I opened up my office, we had people that were making $50,000 a year, and I realized that they were spending 40% of their time on low-level work, in my opinion. So we, when we started to give them assistance, and we even gave their assistance assistance, it really was a game-changer, and they were able to focus all their time on higher-level work.
0: Yeah. People need to delegate. They can't all be the uh, chief cook and bottle washers.
1: Exactly. So.
0: What would be your, again, this show is all about mini multinationals, um, helping mini multinationals, speaking to hosts that are, um, speaking to guests, I should say, that want to inspire the next generation of of mini multinationals. What's your sort of last and biggest piece of advice to companies that typically have just been operating in their home country and are looking to take that next step of, of growing their business um, internationally?
1: Yeah, I mean, doing business internationally, it's definitely an eye opener, you're dealing with people with different cultures, you're dealing with different currency conversions, different ways of doing business, you really don't know what you're getting into unless you try it. So, I've tried to just market to different business communities, I've tried to meet with different people and get feedback and almost ask for feedback and advice and be honest from the beginning. When I first had a client from Israel, I asked them straight up. I was like, hey, what should I know about dealing with other people in Israel? Because I, I'm sure you're not going to be the first, and I would appreciate any advice and feedback. So, have a lot of patience. For me, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, and there's certain things that are rude in one country that might be rude in another. Um, so, you don't really know that unless you talk to other people and just get that feedback and continue to grow and continue to improve. And then there's a lot of services out there that can help you along the way, whether it's the currency conversion um, or it's just making communication easier using stuff like Trello and Slack so that if you're working on different time zones, you continue to stay updated and get messages. So, I encourage people to use the tools around them, and then also uh, figure out figure out how you can improve over time with that system and that process.
0: Fantastic, look, Nathan, it's been a, a real pleasure. And the way we uh, we end these podcasts is just with a quick fire round. So I'm going to ask you, I think four or five questions, and and we don't need to dig too deep. But just kicking off, what is your must read book for entrepreneurs or small to medium sized business owners? It doesn't have to be a current one. A book that's sort of you know shaped your thinking or or helped with success in any sh- way shape or form.
1: Uh, start with why, and it, it really means a lot to me. Just because with my Amazon business, there, there just wasn't a why. I was just doing it to sell products. Where as with FreeUp, the why is to help business owners, to help freelancers from around the world, and and it kind of shows you that when you have a why for your business, the the possibilities are endless. Basically, fall in love with the problem. Yep. Favourite business podcast? Obviously beyond this one. (laughs) Um, I like Entrepreneur on Fire. It's a classic, it's a go-to, it's the most popular one. Um, It's popular for a reason, so I'll stick with that one. Best place you consume news? (laughs) On my phone, uh, CNN, um, just yeah, basically CNN on my phone is how I consume news. Best life hack for work-life balance? Work out one hour a day, away from your phone, away from technology. It helps you reset your mind and a lot of times come up with better ideas. So am I screwing up then when I go to minus one in 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 our
0: office and they've got a, a gym and I'm basically listening to a podcast for an hour while I'm on, you know, the running machine or the elliptical or whatever. Is that a problem?
1: <laughs> um, I mean personally I like to just get away from everything, but I can't speak for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite productivity tool. Um, I use Skype more than anything else I mean I, it lets me interact with people quickly it lets me start group chats it helps me get on the same page with everyone I challenge anyone to be faster on Skype than me um, I'm, I'm a big Skype guy great Nathan honestly it's been a, a real pleasure
0: um, very glad that we were persistent and after we tried to do this in the Philippines and um, we were we, we didn't it didn't go well with the with the terrible internet we we managed to do this because it's been a it's been a real eye opener for me. Um, one of the reasons why I, why I wanted to start this podcast wasn't just to provide value, um, you know, to everyone else listening, but also selfishly for me to learn. You know, this is almost like a a one hour business meeting that's basically very public. And um, you know, I've I've learned some really interesting things in the past hour. And just to cap off, how can people get in touch with you if they wanna, um, you know,
1: jam in the same way we've just done in the last hour? Yeah, very easy to contact. If you go to freeup.com with three E's, you can sign up as a client, or my calendar is right there. What happens if people, by the way, just go to freeup without threes? Do you own, presumably, you
0: don't own um, that domain? I do not, unfortunately, but we're working on it. Awesome. Good to hear. Nathan, thanks very much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning into another episode of uh, Mini Multinational. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers. Cheers.